we have uh, been in our study in the Gospel of John, and uh, for those of you who were here last uh, Sunday, we uh, were in a section in the Gospel of John where um, Jesus um, has come into the uh, temple area. And in John's Gospel, it is really near the first couple of weeks of Jesus' ministry. And uh, this morning, our little break from John's Gospel to Luke's Gospel it is another moment of Jesus coming into the temple, but this is in the last week of his earthly ministry. And uh, something of note to think about is that Jesus from the outset was about doing the will of God and bringing glory, uh, the glory of God, back to his temple and back to his people. And that marked his ministry from beginning to end, and it marks his ministry to us now, is the will of God and the glory of God is the aim of the Christian who has been transformed by his death and resurrection. So this morning, uh, turn to uh, Luke chapter 19. As we deviate from this study, we will look at what is traditionally uh, Palm Sunday or Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. First, let us pray, and then we will read the passage. Father, we come uh, this morning in humble submission as servants to King Jesus. We need the Spirit to reveal to our hearts this morning the splendor of the King. Cause us, Lord, to hang on every word of Scripture that we read and hear this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would have our way, your way in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 19, uh, I'm going to begin at verse 28 and read through verse 48. And then we're going to back up in the middle. So we'll back up a little bit before this passage. But uh, we're going to begin here reading in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. 
the chief priests and the scribes, and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the authoritative, life-changing word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So the mantra of the political climate in our country since 2016 has been this, if I could sum it up. Not my president. Our fellow Americans on the left have fought vehemently against the elected president for four plus years. And in 2020, uh, Americans on the right said, this is not the president I chose. Referring to the one that is elected and running in office right now. The mantra has not changed. Not my president. And yet, on the 20th of January, the president was indeed sworn in and is every American's president until by whatever means he is out of office. That cannot be changed. Well, when two things, two things, two people groups are so contrary or so diametrically opposed, it means that to receive one is to completely reject the other, right? To receive the progressive is to reject the conservative. To receive the conservative is to reject the progressive. There's no affinity between these two groups. Well, such is the case in our text this morning. We will see Jesus over against the Pharisees. We'll see autonomy against submission. We'll see earthly authority in, oppo- in opposition to the heavenly. We will see the scriptures against tradition. We will see the created order uh, juxtaposed against the rigid legalism. But nevertheless, the king is coming as they are preparing this cult to go down the mountain with King Jesus upon it. But I want to back up for a couple of verses in Luke 19 for us to consider something, to get a little uh, background here. Let's look at verses 26 and 27 of chapter 19. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even that what he has will be taken away. Now listen to this. These are the words of Jesus, friends. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them before me. The coming announcement of the king is preceded by a warning. The warning is to reject the king as ruler and as judge is to receive the polar opposite. To reject Jesus as king and ruler is to receive wrath and judgment. When the king is announced, then the moment of crisis has arrived. Receive him as Lord, and you gain eternal life and peace with God. Reject him and receive what is your due. That is, what is due your error. Harden your heart to the king, and he will harden it further. The king has come. The announcement, this announcement, it must be dealt with. 
There is no such thing as a passive non-response to the king, to the announcement of the king coming. You can't have a passive non-response. See, a non-decision to the king is to reject the king. A non-decision to receive the king is to reject peace with God. It is to reject life eternal. It is to reject Jesus as king is to receive all that is due our rebellion. Jesus says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Against this backdrop is how we begin the triumphal entry. Is it against this backdrop that the triumphal entry of Jesus as king comes? Look again at 28 through 36. So when he had said these things, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. See, one thing we need to see in this text this morning is that that the legitimacy of King Jesus is not determined by the will of the people. The legitimacy of King Jesus is not according to the will of the people. Jesus has not become king by virtue of having running having run a great campaign he is not king because he's leveraged his opponent's weaknesses first jesus is king by eternal decree jesus the only begotten of the father has been king since jesus was with him from the foundations of the earth and secondly when we look at our text jesus is king by way of prophetic Fulfillment. Our passage shows Jesus fulfilling the prophetic word in of the coming king in Zechariah uh, chapter 9. Let us turn there. Zechariah chapter 9. So I'm not going to read through all of this, but I'm going to point some things out in this that we see here in this passage and, and give us some background for it. So Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the prophetic word of God. He is king by virtue of him being the one that the scriptures speak of. In verses 9 and 10, the coming king comes in unfamiliar battle gear. He uh, comes not on a war horse, as most would have thought the coming king who's conquering would come on a war horse with a with chariots and with men and with this a war chest behind him. Yet he comes on a donkey. And he comes on this donkey and he is bringing righteousness and salvation. And he will rule from sea to sea. And from the river, which speaks of the river Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. His message is peace. By a blood covenant, he promises to free the captives in verse 11. He comes 
in verse 11, he says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the water of this pit. And he will save his people. Verses 16 through 17. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. See, the announcement of the king who brings peace and righteousness for those who receive him as king is preceded by a warning, just as it is in Luke. If you back up to Zechariah verse 4 through 8, Zechariah 9, 4 through 8, but behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid, Gaza too, and shall writhe in anguish. Akron also, because its hopes are confounded, that the king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abomination from its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for God. It shall be like a clan of Judah and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall march again or march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. It comes with a warning, just like in Luke, that the coming king comes with a warning. So now as we look at this passage they, the people have been warned, those who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and I will slaughter them, Jesus says. And then they announce that this king is coming down the mountain as the fulfillment of the Scripture. Let's look at verses 37 through uh, 40 of Luke 19 more closely. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In this section of our text, we see a contrast between the disciples' response to the coming king and the Pharisees. The disciples see King Jesus and give praise and they rejoice in the mighty works of God. The disciples recognize that peace with God can only happen if they receive Him as King. Receiving Jesus as King is the glory of the Father. The Pharisees see Jesus as a threat. He's a threat to their authority. He's a threat to their position. The disciples, they shout for joy at the coming King. And like the mantra of our day, the Pharisees say, Not my King. He is not my king. He's not the king of my choosing. I did not elect him. We as, as the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, we did not place Jesus in this place of king. And the Pharisees say, rebuke and shut up those who are praising you. Shut them up. We didn't elect them. He is not who we would have chosen to rule and to reign over us. He is not my king. Rebuke these disciples. They are exalting you, Jesus, to equality with God. Now, notice that with subtle firmness, Jesus declares his kingship, and he says this, without saying it directly, 
He says, I am creator God. Doesn't he? When he says here, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. All of creation knows that I am the rightful king. I am the rightful creator and judge. It is only you people who reject me and deny me. With subtle firmness, he says, I am the king and I am equal with God. I am creator God. I tell you that if every voice on earth was ever stopped, the rest of creation would cry out, here comes the king, the Lord of lords. In all that God has created, you know, it is only the sin-infected descendants of Adam that are bold enough to reject his authority. When God makes the wind blow, the trees bend as God tells them to. It is only the sin-sick descendants of Adam who stand stubbornly against the king, who stand stubbornly against King Jesus. We're the only ones bold enough to reject the authority of God. I thought about that in my prayer time this week. How many times do I boldly go against him? I know what to do. How dare me be the one to stand up and say, I won't bend to your will, Father. I won't do what you ask. That is indeed what is happening here. When Jesus says, I tell you that even if these all were silent, if the whole world was stopped, I am still creator, king, God. Because even the rocks will cry out. Even the trees obey me. Even the animals of the field obey me. Everyone obeys me. It is you sin-sick people who defy the king. See, Jesus is king whether you receive him or you don't. That's the bottom line here between the Pharisees and the disciples. Jesus is king whether you receive him or you don't. Jesus is king whether you say he's not my king, he's not the king I would have ordered, he's not the one I elected, I didn't choose him. He is king regardless. He is king regardless. So his authority is not determined by whether you submit to it because even the rocks will cry out. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so... They are without excuse. When I say they, I mean you and me. I mean the Pharisees are without excuse here. Jesus doesn't leave them room for an excuse there, does he? At all. I think this, I think the key in, in looking at this passage is when he says, I tell you, even if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He leaves them no excuse. No excuse. I am king whether you receive me or not. Let's look at 41 through 44. And when they drew near and they saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time 
of your visitation. See, the arrival of the king had two and only two possible results. Either the coming king for you means peace with God and blessing for those who receive him. Or the coming king means destruction. It means destruction for those whose eyes are blinded to the truth. And they are blinded by the truth by what? What are the, what the Pharisees are blinded from the truth by this. And I, th- I think it's the same thing that is blinding us all. It is blinding the world around us. It is blinded to the truth because humankind has a desire for autonomy, self-rule, personal ambition. I will not have this God rule over me. I will not have this King Jesus rule over me. I determine right and wrong. Well, does that not go way back to our great, great, great times 10 grandfather Adam? I know what's right. I'll eat this anyway. Autonomy was always the tool of the enemy. And our sin-sick selves want autonomy and self-rule and personal ambition, which blinds us to the truth of King Jesus. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because the heart of the Father was to bring peace to His people. If they would just receive His Son as King, I'm bringing peace. If you would just receive Him, I'm bringing peace. And that's for us here too. If you don't know Jesus, and I'm telling you that Jesus has come. And He comes with the heart of the Father to bring you peace, to bring you life. Would you receive him or are you blinded? Are you blinded by self-rule? Are you blinded by the words of our, uh, of our time? The words of our time is I get to determine who I am. Biology doesn't get to determine who I am. I do. God's design does not get to determine who I am. I do. Self-autonomy, self-rule. That's the mantra of our day. And the other mantra is this, I will not have him or anyone else rule over me, not my king, just as the Pharisees were here. But God's heart is that we would receive his son as king because he longs to bring peace to his people. The announcement of Jesus as king is quite similar to the announcement of John the Baptist um, when he says, here comes a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus comes on the scene in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, the, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That announcement coupled with the announcement that we just heard from the disciples in verse 38 of, of Luke 19, blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Both of those are a moment of crisis. It's a moment of of crisis. Because in this moment, the crisis for the hearer is this, repent and believe the gospel and you will have peace with God and receive Jesus as king and you will have peace in heaven and thus fulfill your human purpose, which is to glorify God. Or reject the gospel. 
Reject the king. And then the judgment of God is upon you. It's upon you immediately upon the announcement of the gospel. It's upon you immediately upon the announcement of this is the king. This is King Jesus. This is a moment of crisis because the time is fulfilled in your hearing. For all of us here this morning, your moment of crisis has arrived. God is the creator. He is the righteous judge. He has rule over all that he created. His judgments are true. God declares this, that all have sinned and fall short of his glory and his perfect standard. And then here's the indictment. No one seeks for God. No, not one. And for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I announce to you this morning this, that for our sake, God sent His only begotten Son, and He sent Him to be born a king, born to die, born to be sin for us. And He raised Him from the dead that through Him, that you might receive Him as king, that you might receive Him as Lord, and you might do so by faith. And if you do, it is so that we might become the righteousness that God requires of us if we would just repent and believe. So, for all of us here this morning, you have heard this proclamation of the gospel. And at this moment, this could be a moment of crisis. Repent and believe, and the peace of God has come. Reject the king, reject the message, and all the judgments you richly deserve have come upon you. You have no other guaranteed moment than this one that you're in right now. You see, a non-decision today could be eternally fatal. If you've heard the message this morning, you say, I don't know, I've got time. I'll come to Christ and I'll give my life and surrender to Him as Lord when I've finished school, when I've finished living for myself. Today is the day of salvation and this is the only moment you are guaranteed. As we sang this morning, it's your breath in our lungs. That breath is by grace. It is by God's favor upon you. You have that breath and that breath only. You don't have the next one. The next one's by grace too. It is by grace too. If you've clearly heard the gospel this morning and you have heard it from a flawed, fumbling preacher, but as best as I can, I wanted to be clear on the gospel this morning because now is the day of salvation. Now is the moment of salvation. You may not get another one. Your moment has arrived now. Let us look at what Jesus does as he's come into the temple. And you know, from Mark's gospel, when he came down and he had come into the temple and he kind of looked around and what he saw was that the glory of God, the Father, had left the building. 
And this is the same thing. He's weeping over this moment, right? That the temple of God had been transformed and used for things that it shouldn't have been used. And his heart is broken over that. And it's broken over his people's blindness, their self-ambition and all of these things, right? And so Jesus comes in to the temple and he finds this thing and he drives those uh, who sold out and he says to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And as he was teaching daily in the temple after this, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything that they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. See, Jesus has come as king to do the will of God and to bring glory to God's house and to God's people. He comes to bring peace. But what he finds in the house is that God's house is profaned by commerce and the stewards of God's glory reject him. The very ones who were to steward God's glory rejected him. If Jesus came back today, if he came back right now, would he find his church set aside for his glory? Would he find his people living by faith? Would he find his people living contrary to the world? Would he find people living, his people living for the glory of God? Or will he just find sin, error, and apostasy? See, the king, he comes and he upsets the religiosity of the day. He comes and he upsets it. And those people get angry and they seek to destroy him. Those who would take their autonomy away. Those who would take their way of doing things. We've always done it this way. It's like I used to say when I managed people at Fred Meyer and they would say that to me. Well, Jeff, we've always done it this way. I said, it's quite possible for you to think about this. You've always done it wrong. Right? It's quite possible that you've always done it wrong. So here they come, right? And, they, and, and, and he would say to, to these Pharisees, you've always, you got it wrong. You missed it. You totally missed the boat. You got it wrong. It's about the glory of God. It's not about yourself. It's not about the structures you've put in place. It's not about the restrictions you've put on your people. It is not about that. It's about the glory of God and about doing the will of God. Right? You've missed it. And Jesus comes and upsets that. And of course, they want to destroy him. And I think sometimes even in the local church, when you bring structure and order and the glory of God and the will of God into the way that you shape your worship services, right? It is opposed to the commercialism of church today. It is, it's opposed to that. And people might say, no, get out. We need a guy who will come in here and, 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 and give us bells and whistles and, uh, and do all the things that we, we desire to do. Although they reject the man, I think they also reject the Christ that is in the man. I think they reject the king that they say they serve. The king has come. And you see, this is a moment of crisis for some. So I ask this morning, will you receive him today by repentance and faith, or will you reject him and then receive in yourself what is due your error? As we close, I'd like to get you to turn with me to another passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. I want to end with this. As we think uh, through this, 1 Corinthians 15, I want to look at just verses 1 and 2. 
And this by way of reminder for us to take home with us today. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, and catch this, unless you believed in vain. You see, as we've looked at this this morning, to receive the king is to receive the gospel. To receive the king of the gospel comes with an opposite reaction. To receive the gospel, to receive the king of the gospel is to reject the world. They are too diametrically opposed. To receive one, you must reject the other. To receive the righteousness of God is to reject sin. To receive the righteousness of God means that I reject sin. To receive Jesus as king is to reject the sin that made his coming necessary. To receive the gospel and follow King Jesus is to reject all the things that can be seen and to receive that which cannot be seen. To receive Jesus as king is to reject personal autonomy. It is to reject self-rule. And it is to enslave yourself voluntarily to Christ, a king, rejected and despised as an outsider by the religious hierarchy. It seems almost idiotic. Receive the king who was rejected by all the religious people in the know. Receive the king to the rejection of all of that. To receive Jesus and believe the gospel is to reject the majority opinion of the world. To reject their mores, to reject their judgments, and to enjoin yourself voluntarily to a berated and much maligned minority of people called the church. They're diametrically opposed to reject the world and receive Jesus as king. Those two things go together. To receive the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord is to reject the world and to call it what it is, fake news. To, re to receive the good news is to reject the fake news. We are getting inundated with fake news day in and day out, aren't we? And the, the fakest news that we're getting, it might not necessarily be from, from politicians. It's societally. That you are, you are the captain of your own ship. You are the one that determines who you are by how you feel. You see, to receive Jesus as king is to reject the message of the world. To reject the hope that is delivered by them, by their leaders, a false hope. And to place your trust in the ancient promises of God found in the Holy Scriptures. To reject what is new, right? What is new is better in our society, right? If I bring you some new news, that's good news. For us, it is. I reject this news because if it's new, it probably isn't true. And if it's true, it probably isn't new. And it is to place your trust 
in the ancient words of God in the Holy Scripture. I ask us this morning, are you rejecting the world and its views? Or are you blended? And are your views and the world's views sort of compartmentalized? Do you believe the news of the world that we as humans are getting better every day as technology advances? Do you believe that autonomy and self-rule is a basic human right? Do you believe that how you feel about yourself and the world is the reality that you ought to be able to live in so that you're not accountable to anyone? I would ask you this morning, as Paul intimates in, in 1 Corinthians 15, have you believed then Jesus in vain? Have you believed Jesus in vain? Have you not received Jesus as king and believed the gospel to the rejection of everything else that the world offers? If you have not received Jesus as king and believed the gospel to the rejection of everything else that the world has to offer for you and for your salvation and for those kinds of things and, and life, real life, then you have indeed believed the gospel in vain. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity this, and then we'll pray. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want, to, I don't want only to prune a branch here or prune a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, and all of your dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me. That's the coming of our King. To receive Him and reject it all. Reject the world. Reject what it has to offer. Because I hope that you see from the Scriptures that what Jesus offers is far superior peace with God, life eternal. That's what the king offers. Without Jesus, there is no peace. There is no life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for sending your son to be king for us. I pray, Lord, by your grace that we would grow in rejecting the things of this life and receiving the things of the kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would bind and knit us as a kingdom community focused in on two things, your glory and obeying your will, Lord. I ask that you have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.